Real Business Owners. Welcome back to the Real Business Owners Podcast. This is episode 47. Myself, Trevor Cowley. As always, Kel Goodman with me. Guys, today we have a special guest for you. Um, you know, I tried to find somebody that I felt like knew everything, but I couldn't find one human on the planet that knows everything. So I've got the, the second best option, David Meltzer. Welcome. We appreciate you coming on the podcast and giving us your time today. That's so cool because you got the guy that knows nothing. So you went, you know, the second best choice. Well, hey, <laughs> I think more people need to practice knowing nothing just for a second out of every single day and just exiting everything out of their mind and focusing on themselves. So that's one thing that I wanted to talk to you about in this podcast. If you will, tell me, you know, morning routines are very, very important for me. So if you will tell me, do you have a morning routine that's non-negotiable that you go through every single day that you wake up to kind of prime your day? So, you know, I was prepared for, you know, some sort of changes in my life because I travel 200 days a year and I always have taught people you should have two routines. Okay. One is what I call the home routine. And that home routine doesn't mean I'm at home. It's just a normal routine when there's no family in town, you know, no bachelor party, uh, there's no travel. And so that routine was always set for me. And it was 4 a.m. wake up, meditate for 20 minutes, get ready for 10, get to the gym for a minimum of an hour, come home, do research, write books, study for an hour, take care of the family for an hour, 30 minutes of executive coaching on the drive to my work. And then I'm a student of my calendar. I execute on what I have planned, execute on the white space or what I don't have planned, always in mind and planning for sleep at the end of the night. So everything in my day is determined upon waking up the next day at 4 a.m. And then at 4.45, doing 30 more minutes of executive coaching on my drive home. Then 5.30 to, to uh, 7.30 is all family time. Everything was shut off. And then 7.30 to 9 o'clock was research again, writing, optional family time, 9 o'clock to 11. And my goal was always to stay up to 11. Sometimes I didn't make it, but it was <laughs> you know, mostly intimate time with my wife or kids or, you know, once again, everything shut off from 9 to 11. I have a 45-minute wind-down routine uh, so that I sleep in a very clear conscious subconscious and unconscious state of mind so i don't live my life with the myth of sisyphus where i roll the big boulder up to the top of the hill all day long and then let it roll down i plateau and grow try to start every day like we said just a few minutes ago dave wakes up ready yeah man i'm at the highest frequency that's my baseline that's what i'm supposed to beat now where this gets interesting is i've always said you got to have an adaptable routine okay and so adaptable routines still go by time, meaning the start of the day and the end of the day for me were always the same. So I start my day at 4 a.m. and I try to stay up to 11 a.m. Pacific time. On an adaptable routine though, it's more based off of your value. So I spend a minimum time, an hour a day minimum on my health. So that's the priority, non-negotiable. You know, if you guys told me, hey Dave, we need you to come on, uh, you know, this morning, which was, you know, 4.30 to 5.30 a.m., I would tell you, sorry, my priority is my health. I'm pelotoning it with the uh, most beautiful instructor that I can find on Peloton. There you go. <laughs> motivating. And then uh, two is my family. So then I go 30 minutes with my wife, minimums. These are all minimum times, right? right. Minimum 30 minutes with my nine-year-old. I spend minimum two minutes a day with my teenage daughters. I asked for five, they gave me two. I'm a good dad, but yeah. they don't want me. Uh, and then a minute, minimum of a minute a day, this is embarrassing with my mom. 
but it's probably the most valuable lesson that people could take from this interview as business owners. Um, as a parent and as a child, I remind my mom every day, a minimum of a minute, that number one, I'm healthy. Number two, I'm happy. Number three, I love her. And number four, I appreciate her. If you think about the four things as parents or children, that, you know, and I learned this being a parent, what are really the only things I really care about my kids telling me or being? Healthy, happy, I hope they love me and appreciate me, but the first two especially. So my relationships have gotten so great. And then I spend a minimum of 10 minutes a day studying my calendar. Uh, and studying the calendar includes inventorying my values, making sure I have a plan to ask how I can be of service and of value and ask for help. Being a student of my calendar means attention plus intention to create the coincidences I want of what I have planned, what I don't have planned in sleep. Making sure I have a plan to do things now because 100% of things that get done now get done and that's the difference in my life. And people ask me, how have I always separated myself with some sort of you know, success? It's just because I get stuff done. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, the last practice is I always practice ending fear. Fear creates the interference and corrosion uh, to everything in my life. I know I'm connected to all the light, love and lessons and power. I just got to get out of my own way and stop interfering with it. So my major practice in life is to practice ending fear. That's so cool, man. I'm so glad you went yeah. so deep on that. I mean, yeah. uh, you, you know, the mentors that we have too, I mean, that's just a common denominator uh, across uh, from us to our mentors is the people that are the best with their calendars and the best at like organizing their time. I mean, they just are always at different levels of, of success. And so that is definitely a common denominator. I'm glad that you went that deep on that. So let me, let me ask you this, because it seems as though that at this point in your life, you have it very organized, systemized so that you're obviously performing at your peak. You know, you're, you're maximizing every moment of your day, right? When did that shift happen though? Was this, was this something that you did at 18, 20, 25, or was there just chaos everywhere that you're like, okay, I've got to take control of this situation and I've got to get systemized. Like tell, tell us a little bit yeah. about the evolution to getting to where you're at right now. So it started in law school because I was making so many mistakes. Um, you know, I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, because I would, I had a tiny room, I had no money. So I studied like in my bed in this tiny room and I couldn't understand like, and I wake up at 4am and I get so nervous and I think about things and like pretty soon just doing my laundry exhausted me like in my head, right? Oh my God. And I, and I have a little bit of OCD or a lot of it, like most successful people. And so I started, you know, searching for help to see how I could use my time. And then when I graduated law school, I wanted to make, you know, just like you guys, I'm fired up to make a lot of money. And so growing up poor, I wanted to use my time. So the first thing I learned was called the power of 64. And I wanted to be a millionaire to buy my mom a house and a car. So what I told myself was, okay, everybody on average is eight hours productive a day. What if I could be focused 16 hours a day, be productive 16 hours a day? What if too, I could create efficiencies with my time to make my 16 hours 32 hours a day. And then what if I practiced my skills, acquired more knowledge and maintained my desire that I must be what I can be, which was a millionaire. What if I could do that to be more statistically successful? I could double that statistics success. So if other guys are selling two out of 10, I'm selling four out of 10, right? And what if I could do that? I could have 64 hours of productivity a day 
eight days of productivity every day. And then I'm not going to, and this is what my training is tomorrow about. I'm not going to look at it uh, for me as work. I'm going to look at it as activity I get paid for and activity I don't get paid for. And I'm going to try to maximize the activity I get paid for. So I'm going to take vacation every day, two minutes a day is worth more than two hours on a Saturday. So I was going to use time to work seven days a week, eight days a day. So when I was a millionaire nine months out of law school and, you know, West Publishing, this big company, I'm 25 years old, you know, 1993, and they're like, oh my God, you blew out our $250,000 comp plan. I'm like, no, I didn't. I was laughing. I'm like, I just worked 10 years, right? I was 10 years productive in nine months. I was actually at a hundred grand a year, but uh, <laughs> I beat people with math. So that set me on a course to always be more productive, always be more accessible, right? Always be efficient and practice. And this idea of creating habits and discipline to practice everything I did instead of looking at things that I could just do it once was a huge advantage in my life. I could lower the bar. I would set like stupid things like two minutes a day with my daughter. Let me just tell some things I learned. Like, do you know that 80 hours a year are wasted looking for things? So if you put your phone, your wallet, and your keys in the same place and you create a habit of that, you'll save 60 hours of productivity a year. That's a lot of time. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to brag, but I can make a ton of money in 60 hours of productivity, right? A ton of money. Right, right. I'm talking real money, more than most people make in a year. That's just from putting my keys, my phone, and my wallet in the same pace. So I started going on and using my time. Four minutes is my rule. I'm looking for things every day that I can save four minutes on because if you save four minutes a day, it's 24 hours of productivity a year for the rest of your life. That's three full days of a normal person's productivity. Even in my own business, how about this one? I hired two and a half years ago a chief betterment officer because what I figured is, and it's really applying to everyone's life now because I didn't have the time to make things better, right? You guys get this being entrepreneurs. Yeah, right? you stay right? busy with your day-to-day -day stuff. So somebody on the outside helping you, you know, make it better, obviously, you know, they have a different set of eyes than you, right? He's the most valuable employee because he makes the most profit for me, but he's the second highest paid employee. That's how much, and all he does all day long is walk around my office, talking to everyone, learning what systems, what softwares, what attitude, you know, he goes in the bathroom every day to make sure that it's better, right? And so the margins, I call it the millionaire margins are created. One of the millionaire margins is to have somebody, if it can't be you, somebody else, to make things better. Well, now that we're stuck in our closets or our offices by ourselves, we actually have some very valuable time to look at everything we do and make it better. No, I agree wholeheartedly. That's yeah. what we've been doing the last several weeks. We've changed our entire systems and processes and almost changed the entire company on one of our companies because, you know, we had the downtime to basically whiteboard it and say, okay, when this happens, we go here, we do this, and we're trying to figure out, we're cutting out the dead time, cutting out where it's not serving our customers, right? And so we wanted to increase communication, increase, obviously, um, you know, the way that we communicate internally, as well as the way that we communicate with our customers so that they're always in the know. And so we've revamped the price point, we revamped the systems and the processes, and we're like ready for this thing to be gone so that we can <laughs> test this, that, you know, we want to take it for a ride now at this point. 
to see if we did a good job in terms of trying to make the the systems and processes better. But, um, you know, one thing that I really respect about you, the more that I get to know you, the more that I've been watching you on, on your social media, it just seems as though that you're an individual that's always, again, trying to chase his highest self, right? Always trying to become better. And I think uh, an issue that I see a lot is somebody hits a destination or a goal. Uh, hey, I want to make a hundred grand a year. And then they just, they almost celebrate that win forever. And then they just stop because maybe it's something that they didn't think that they would ever be able to accomplish. What's the, the, the motivating factor for you when you get to the point where you make a million dollars or two million, five million, ten million, but you still want to stay disciplined in some of your routines to always, because it's going to get to a point where it's just not about money anymore. Like Warren Buffett doesn't need the money, but he still wants to play the game. So what do you think is the difference between the people that want to continue to progress versus the people that just hit a certain point and then they plateau forever with their life or their income? Or worse, they get destructive, right? They self-entitle themselves, surround themselves with the wrong people, the wrong ideas and lose everything, which is what I did in 2008. So what I learned is there's three worlds. Uh, There's a world of not enough. And that's what I was born into with a single mom and six kids, right? A mom who packed my my dinner in a paper bag that work two jobs. Well, no matter what, my mom lives in a world of scarcity and she's a victim. Everything happens to her. Yeah. Uh, and then I learned about this world that you're talking about right now, the world of just enough. I want to make a million dollars. It's just enough. And that's the world that's for me. And you, you live a filled life. And a filled life is one that you're filled with everything that you want. And like you said, you can get complacent There's no motivation or inspiration in your life. Where I learned over the last 13 years a process that's called enjoying the consistent every day, persistent without quit, pursuit of my potential. Not anybody else's potential. I don't vote for what anybody else thinks of me. I don't vote for what anybody else wants for me. I have learned throughout the years. I vote for what I want, my potential. Some things I have a very high quantum potential, a DNA that allows me to communicate more effectively than most people, to you know work more diligently and stay focused. But I also, you know, if you take like basketball, I have a very low quantum uh, potential. But you know, if I still enjoyed the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential as a basketball player, I'd be in the over fifty league at the Jewish Community Center, m- maybe as a starter, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my potential. That's my potential. But, you know, we look at that and you can live when you understand that formula that I just said, enjoying the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential, detaching your emotions from the outcome. I'm very goal oriented, right? This is where people think it's counterintuitive. I'm super goal oriented, but I don't put limitations. So I would say I want to make over a billion dollars. I want to make over. I don't say I want to make a million and then stop. People limit themselves. But when you live in this world, it's called the world of more than enough, Hmm. right? And the world of more than enough isn't a filled world. It's a fulfilled world. I live a fulfilled life. And I live that because I enjoy and have learned to do. This is what my training is about Friday, learning to do what you love. The biggest misnomer, and you guys will do this because I'm sure you have friends going, you guys are so lucky, man. You work together. You love what you do. Look, that's bull. Let me tell you, everybody, my, my business partner is a Hall of Fame quarterback. He has the dream job of almost every young male in America to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, right? Let's be honest. That's yep. a bomb job. Yeah. But he will tell you, he doesn't love 100% of what he does, yeah, right? right? He, nobody does. Yeah. And what we have to do is learn to love the percentage that we don't love 
of what we're doing, whether it's personal or professional, from taking the trash out to being the Hall of Fame quarterback, what if we enjoy the consistent, persistent pursuit of our potential, learn to love, have a perspective that we're always connected to the lessons in light, and that it's our job to practice ending the interference or corrosion to that connection. That's why I wake up in my highest frequency, I plateau and grow, and my main mission in life is to teach other people this so that they can be happy. No, I love that. Um, So here's what I was guilty of, right? You know, especially being young in sales and then moving to entrepreneurship. It was, man, if I make a hundred grand a year, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to have every, I'm going to have it all, you know? And then you hit a hundred grand a year and you look around, you're like, okay, where's happiness? You know, it's not here, right? And then, so you set the bar at 200, 300, 400, and you keep hitting these specific goals. And then it gets to the point to where, you start looking around if you, you know, at four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever it is, and you start realizing that money doesn't equal happiness, right? And so I think destination happiness is 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 a big issue where everybody's saying, I'll be happy when. Hmm. So what would you state to, you know, young entrepreneurs that are holding their happiness back, so to speak, and they're putting it out? Uh, a year out, two years, five years, because they're putting it at a specific point. I think us, we can understand this a little bit better because we've seen money come in and we realize that. And I think a lot of people that don't have the money yet think it's just a load of crap. Like, oh yeah, right. You know, I'll be happy if I made a quarter million or a half a million. So would you say that true happiness is just a matter of always trying to find your best self and always studying you? Or what would you state with your belief system is the definition of true happiness. So I grew up money bought happiness and love. Everything that happened to me till I was 36 years old reaffirmed that money bought happiness and love. And I was empty. I ended up empty because I was convinced of it. Uh, Where the shift has occurred and what I would tell a young entrepreneur is that money is the the currency of this vibration. It's the most important thing of the pragmatic world, right? You need to blend it with your faith. But what helped me understand this is that, you know, nobody wants to hear, don't buy a Ferrari. That's not going to make you happy. Don't make 250 (laughs) grand. Because that's bull. You know, it's not true. Money's super important. Here's what I want you to focus in on. Money allows you to shop. Okay. And what you shop for you need to learn whether it makes you happy or not. So if you shop for the things that make you happy, you're going to be happy. If you shop for, in, like I have, the wrong things, it's going to make you miserable. And so the more money you have, the more options you have to shop, the more options you have to learn what makes you happy. So for example, Ferrari. I always wanted a Ferrari. I set my emotions the day I bought a Ferrari, I was going to be happy because my mom would think I'm successful. People who just meet me would know I'm successful. Women would love me, right? Everyone. And what I learned from buying it, and I want everyone to experience this because they may have a different experience than me. I want everyone to have enough money to buy a Ferrari. What I learned about a Ferrari is if you drive it too much, it breaks down. If you drive it too little, it breaks down. It's the biggest pain in my butt because I always was more worried about my car than anything else. Nobody thought I was cool. And if they did, they're not the people I wanted to think that I'm cool. And, you know, last but not least, all I did was reveal my true anatomy to women. It did not 
uh, help me at all. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, these are the lessons that you learn with money, but you can't learn those lessons unless you get the money. Yeah. So I'm like this weird spiritual, I, I call myself the ferocious Buddha, right? Because I am a pragmatist. I am an entrepreneur. I am money driven. So it comes through me for others, meaning that money comes through me so I can learn the uh, lessons and give or teach those to others. And that you should be able to buy whatever you want and learn what makes you happy. And then when it doesn't make you happy, give it away. Don't hold on to it with ego and continue to not learn the lessons. Look for the light, love and lessons in everything that you buy and then blend it with your faith. Blend it with your ability to must be what you can be with your potential, with all of that side. And there is a natural blend from this pragmatic world where money is an object of energy that we put into the flow to get what we want. But the difference is I need to learn what I want. Money doesn't buy happiness, says it right above me, <laughs> but it allows you to shop. And if you learn the lessons of what to shop for, you will be super happy. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I like it. I like it a lot too. Um, you know, and, and just so that you understand, like we're we're new to this, the, the journey of really looking inside, right? Like, because we've got to the point where you start making money and then you realize that money can fill up a bank account, but it can't fill up your soul, right? Making a, an impact is ultimately what will fill up your soul and make you feel good. Now, if you can make money and make an impact with the exact same thing, then you found probably your key to happiness, right? So because giving to others obviously is probably the most rewarding thing ever. Like you talked about uh, purchasing a home for your your, your mom and, and being able to take care of her. That was one of my big goals. And on Sunday, I wrote her a check for two grand and told her I'm going to start taking care of her mortgage on a month-to-month -month basis because of everything that's going on. She's also lost her job. And so, you know, that's been a, a big motivating factor for me, not necessarily, you know, I do want all the, the fancy things, the cars, all that good stuff. But taking care of people is definitely above and beyond all of those things. Uh, let me ask you something real quick about ego. Do you believe ego serves you as an individual or do you think it works against you? Do you think that there's a way for it to serve you? Like, uh, you know, because we've talked about this on our podcast before that we believed it got us to a certain point, but then we couldn't break that. You know, we had to let go of the ego to then kind of go to a new level. Um, shine some light on that, if you will. Yeah, so there is a purpose to the ego and a benefit of the ego because the ego focuses us. And to initiate something or to create a catalyst in our life, fear, which, you know, everything that evolves around the ego is fear-based. It, it really is. So the need to be right, the need to be offended, separate, inferior, superior even, uh, anxious, frustrated, fearful, angry, uh, guilty. You, some, you, know, you mentioned guilt. These are all fear-based emotions and they protect us and they're catalysts. They, they motivate us. The problem is, is that you can't stay in that state, right? The idea is, okay, I'm looking, the, the original idea is I'm looking over around the tree and there's a humongous bear. Oh, I better acknowledge the bear. I want to survive. That's a very good thing about the ego. <laughs> okay. Now, where we have to and we have to control the ego is after I'm aware of the danger, right? As a catalyst, I'm focused in on it. Now, how do I stop, drop, and roll back into truth consciousness? Where people make the mistake is they look at the bear and then they run sometimes in the wrong direction and keep running and running right into the bear. 
right? And they wonder, why did I run right back into the bear? Instead of saying, hmm, there's a bear. Let me figure this out. What's the best way to get to my trajectory? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I've learned this, this, and this. I'm going to get really big and the bear's going to run away from me. Then I can go walk to the store as fast as I can or to the cave or wherever. This is what people do. So there's three things to do in ego. And I, I believe, like I told you, the fifth most important thing is practicing ending fear. And it's a daily practice for me. And the faster you can get back to center or to neutral or to your trajectory, the better. But I have learned that when you're in the ego-based consciousness, you're hyper-focused. Uh, fear, though, is a soul sucker. It's going to drain your energy. Inspiration will gain your energy. So we want to clear the interference, the fear, the corrosion, but we utilize it to get that instantaneous focus. And then what we do, our mind, body, and soul are on fire when we're afraid. We stop. We learn, right? We go to understanding. We drop down by breathing usually, in through our nose, out through our mouth, straight spine is the easiest way. And then we get focused through inspiration, not the soul-sucking fear. We get inspired to go ahead and move in the right direction. Uh, when I've seen people literally, it's the analogy I would use, they get on the freeway and they realize they're going south instead of north. But instead of stopping, looking to see which way they should go and getting on the right exit and moving on back north, they go ahead and go, oh shit, I'm on the run freeway. And they slam the gas on and they end up way down in Mexico. Right? <laughs> and, then, and then in their life, they're like, why aren't I where I want to be? Yeah. Because you didn't, you didn't realize that ego puts us into the stop, drop, and Roll our ego puts our mind, body, and soul on fire. When you're on fire, everyone's mom told them, stop, drop, and roll. That's but the ego is very important because it instantly gets us focused in on what the dangers are. It's how we acknowledge, understand, and move forward from that danger that's so important. It's hmm. a good explanation. Yeah, no, yeah. it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, fear so so you're but what you're stating is is originally when you feel fear come on, don't react, right? kind of take a step back from it and analyze where it's coming from and then make a conscious decision, you know, a logical conscious decision rather than a fear-based decision. Yeah, if you have one minute, I'll give you my best story about Please. that because it really helps people. Please. Uh, I wake up, as you know, at four o'clock. I meditate and then go to exercise. One Saturday morning, I'm outside 4.30 in the morning getting in my car to get to the gym and I notice that my 17-year-old daughter's car is missing. Hmm. That is a pretty fearful yeah. ego thing that happens. Normally, before I learned this practice, I would have picked up my phone and been screaming at my daughter, where the F are you, yeah. right? <laughs> of course. I got that feeling, I picked up my phone and I decided I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna drop down and I asked myself, why am I so angry? Well, I'm angry because I'm afraid, right? I'm afraid that something has happened to one of the most important people in my entire life that I'm responsible for. I'm terrified, actually. Okay, breathe. I picked up the phone when I got to neutral. I called my daughter and I said, hey, where are you? I'm at home. Oh, where's your car? Well, it's at the grocery store. You told me if kids were drinking that I could leave my car and I'd take an Uber home. Now, I know I'm not stupid. I know what kids are drinking means, right? Yeah. She was drinking as well. Yeah. I'm okay with that, yeah. I, right? Because this is what I, I want as a parent. Mm, totally. So I said, I said to her, oh my gosh, I am so sorry for waking you up. Thank you so much for being so responsible. I love you. And she said, daddy, I love you and went back to sleep. 
Now, why is that so critical? Because the ego-based consciousness, the guy that would have stepped on the gas and accelerated to Mexico would have screamed at her. She would have screamed back to me with profanity. She would have then hated me, right? Creating corrosion between our connection. Next time the kids are drinking, instead of doing what I want her to do to be responsible for her safety and others, she would have got in the car because she didn't want to get in trouble and get yelled at at four in the morning by her dad. And God knows what would have happened. My life and her life could be completely different. Right. And this is what people do every single day when they don't stop, drop, and roll. And they wonder why all these awful things have happened because pain will arise, mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional pain, will, financial pain, all will arise if you haven't learned the lesson. They'll go away when you learn the lesson. And that's the core of your business is to help other people not pay the dummy tax and teach them the lesson so their financial pains go away. Yeah. It's crazy, man. It's like one of the very first things I learned when I started going down personal growth and working on me years ago when I went through this nasty divorce and I was breaking a family up and is, uh, you know, anger is always, always, always a mask for fear. And you have to identify what, what it is. What is it that, what is that fear that you are now lashing out or, or is causing this anger, right? And, and just practicing that over and over and over again for years was probably one of the biggest shifts that people saw in me. They're like, man, this guy doesn't walk around so angry anymore, you know? And this guy is actually more productive in his life. And success really started compounding when he actually work on that kind of stuff consistently. And so that's a really cool story. No, I like that too. You nailed it, man. Um, yeah. Let me ask you this, you know, right before I, you know, ask where people could find you and, and, and connect with you, all that good stuff. But what would you say? I mean, you, you've been in the game for many years. Uh, you're serial entrepreneur. You have tons of different investments. You, you do very, very well for yourself. And I believe you coach people as well, right? Okay. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in having a coach or a mentor, right? Uh, somebody that's way down the line where you want to be, obviously, uh, because your today problems are their yesterday problems, right? They've already solved them. So why sit there, like you talked about, pay the dummy tax, right? So what would you say is the most common mistake that you can identify when you start working with somebody or coaching somebody, mentoring them? Uh, is it the fact that they're so focused more so on the business than themselves? Uh, and then you turn them to look inward or tell me a little bit about the most common problem that you've identified with your years of entrepreneurship and your coaching and mentorship. You know, the biggest problem is that people want to give. Uh, and that might sound weird. The biggest problem with almost every entrepreneur when I start working with them, and I also work with top, you know, Fortune 500 CEOs and executives, and they have the same problem. It's the same one that I have, receiving. And it's a matter of radical humility that business executives and entrepreneurs are control freaks. And we want to just give, 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 and we're responsible for everyone. And we forget we can't give what we don't have. And so not asking for help and knowing how to subtly ask, do you know anyone that can help me? Finding all of those people to create the flow and acceleration and growth in our lives. And the number one consistent problem that people have is they don't feel worthy of what they have and they don't feel worthy of what they're going to have and they're afraid to ask for help. They think that people are gatekeepers. Uh, We're competitive in nature, uh, hyper-competitive in nature. And what I say is, look, the, the mindset shift that I give people is, look, everyone is either a sponsor of mine or a power sponsor of mine. What does that mean? No matter who I see, 
in a, in a subway, at the airport, or an arranged business meeting, no matter who I see, my mindset is you are a sponsor of mine or a power sponsor. A sponsor is somebody that knows someone or something that can help me. And a power sponsor is someone that can help me and knows something that can help me and also knows somebody else that can help me. And the more that I ask for that type of help, especially today where the average person knows over a thousand people, unlike when I was a kid and I was lucky to get to the call foursome or the card game or the, you know, the church group, you know, we were limited how much help people could give on average over a thousand people. If you don't understand the series of questions of how you can be of service and of value, but even more importantly, how you can ask your sponsors and power sponsors every day for help, you are limiting your capacity to make a lot of money so you can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun and enjoy your life. Love that. That's cool. So if you will, tell everybody where to connect with you. Um, you know, I know that uh, a lot of people can benefit from just your insight, your Instagram, and your podcast. You also have a podcast, right, um, yeah. that, that we were a part of. So we appreciate you having us on that. Um, can't can't wait us, for that to come out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you will, tell, tell uh, everybody where to find you and, and connect with you because I think more people could benefit from having you in their life. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, David Meltzer at David Meltzer, YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram at David Meltzer. My website's dmeltzer.com. My email is David at dmeltzer. I have a text community, 949-298-2905. I do free trainings every Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific time. This week's Road to Revenue, learning to love what you do. Um, like I said, I'm where do they find that information? Would they find that on your Instagram or on your website or text me or my website are the best places or email me at David at Meltzer. Uh, but everybody's invited. We have a capacity of 10,000 people. It gets uh, pretty crowded. So it's good. Uh, there's a lot of good questions and, uh, you know, we'll, uh, I'm, I'm here to be of service. So thank you so much for the opportunity to share. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Guys, um, I know you got value out of today's podcast. Make sure that you you uh, leave a review for us. Make sure that you connect with David. Um, follow this man. Um, he's very insightful. This is, I, I think, uh, you are a perfect hybrid of an amazing entrepreneur and an amazing individual because you've done the work externally out in the world for entrepreneurship and you've done a lot of the work internally. And I think that, you know, those two have to go hand in hand for you to continue to hit new levels. And, and again, always finding the best version of yourself. So, And we always tell our audience too, man, that, you know, the biggest thing that you've got to be focusing on is what you are putting in between your ears and what yeah. you're listening to, what kind of content you're feeding yourself. And this is a guy that you guys should be following, listening. Um, I've started following him and yeah. listening to him. I've enjoyed your content a lot Absolutely. and uh, really appreciate you coming on. Anytime, guys. Congratulations. Let's share the happiness. Take care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, man. Awesome. Talk to you guys soon. Yep. Bye now.